Hello, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we are so honored to have on the show Megan Duhamel. She's a two time world champion figure skater. She is an Olympic gold, silver, and bronze medalist. She has studied holistic nutrition and she's spoken all around the world, and she's vegan. And on today's episode, we talked to her about how she got started in figure skating, what it's like to travel to the Olympics as a vegan, and her awesome website, Lots of Greens. She's an incredibly inspiring human being, which you're about to find out now. Hello, Megan. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I would love to dive into a little bit about your skating career first. I am so impressed with all that you've accomplished. And I would love to know how you got into it. How old were you? Um, Actually, I was three years old when I started skating lessons. I'm from a super small town in Northern Ontario. You know, when you're from a small town in Canada, you learn to skate. It's kind of just part of our culture. My mom put me in all sorts of sports, but I really gravitated towards skating. And it was every winter I asked my mom if I could have skating lessons again. And my sister was also skating and she was older than me. So I think it was kind of that normal, bratty, younger sibling that I wanted to do everything my older sister did. So the more she progressed in skating, the more motivated I became to progress as well. And at first, was it really casual? Like you skated seasonally or were you always involved in the sport? It was just really casual at first. Once a week, my town had like a learn to skate program. So I did that for many years, like just on Monday night. But my sister was skating three days a week because she was at a higher level. So I would go to the rink and I would watch her and all of her friends all the other days of the week. And like, that's what I would do after school is I would just go and watch my sister skate and ask my mom, please, can I skate on Wednesday? Can I skate on Friday? And then, you know, the higher I progressed, the more often I skated, but it was a very gradual progression. You know, my parents didn't think anything like that serious of it. But when I was about seven years old, I started telling people I was going to go to the Olympics because I had seen the Olympics on TV. And, um, you know, my parents told me to stop telling people that because they thought that's a little bit embarrassing. My seven year old, I didn't go around saying I hope to go to the Olympics. I was stating I am going to the Olympics. Like I was very bold. I used to watch figure skating all the time. My grandpa was Japanese. My grandpa is Japanese, but he sadly passed away. He loved Christy Yamaguchi. And so we would watch all of her performances. I remember growing up, I would, I would watch the Olympics with my mom and like the Olympics was figure skating. Like if you had asked me to name other sports in the Olympics, I'm just like, there's other sports in the Olympics. (laughs) Skating is really popular. And I think that, you know, when we were children in the nineties, it was at a high in terms of popularity. So it was on TV all the time. And the skaters like Christy Amaguchi and Michelle Kwan Elvis Stoiko and Kurt Browning, these were like huge icons. They were famous, like household names. So when did you decide to take it more seriously and begin training as a career? Age seven now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it took a little bit longer to like convince my parents. They still thought this was just a recreational hobby. When I was 14, I announced to my parents that I needed to move away from home because I needed better training and better coaching. And in my small town, we skated three days a week. There was no other um, highly competitive skaters. There was a competitive training center where Elvis Stoiko had trained three hours away from where I lived. 
So I told my parents I needed to move there at 14 years old. And my parents like said, no, first, we don't have money for you to go live somewhere else. And second, you're 14 years old, you're staying home and going to high school. But I was extremely persistent. And I didn't give up because I knew that if I wanted to take that next step and start working towards national and international competitions, I needed a better environment and I needed better coaching. So eventually my mom kind of caved. She said I could go for one semester of high school. So my first semester of grade 10. But then I made nationals in that semester for the first time and started getting selected for international competitions. So she couldn't really take me home after that. Where is your sister at this point who inspired you to begin with? My sister's still skating. So what happened was we went away for a two-week summer camp in Barrie at this place where I eventually moved. And when we came home from the two-week summer camp, I announced to my mom that I needed to move there and skate there more seriously. And my sister just wanted to go home. She hated it. She wanted to be with her friends and go to school. So my sister and I were both at a very similar level, uh, technique-wise, on the ice. But she just didn't have that inner drive and determination that I did. She wanted just to hang out with her friends and skate for fun. And I wanted, I didn't care about my friends. I just wanted to skate. Were you able to maintain actual friendships with other humans? Yes, of course. Actually, when I moved away, there was about eight or nine girls and boys that moved away to train at the same time I did. And we were all in the same grade at school. So there was a bunch of us living away from home with other families, billeting with other families, and um, in the same school, same class, and training together, all of us dreaming of going to the Olympics. And do you still keep in contact with them? I do with quite a few of them, actually. One of them is still one of my best friends. You know, everyone kind of like got, maybe they got injured or they lost interest or they finished high school and wanted to, to go to university and stop skating. And I was the only one that really like continued trucking through. That's really cool. And what do you say to your parents now about your skating career? Do you bring up that, hey, remember when I was a very young girl and I told everybody I was going to the Olympics and then I did and then I won? You know, we, we laugh about it a lot because my mom, you know, she remembers funny stories and brings up funny things. Like there was one point um, when I was about 10 or 11, people were starting to tell my parents that I had talent. But my mom, she felt like these coaches just wanted her money. She was like, you know, they're lying to me. They're telling me my daughter has talent. So I'll give them more money for more coaching. So my mom was a bit naive and she actually called a skating judge, which, you know, you don't normally phone a judge. My mom called a judge and said, does my 11 year old kid have talent or not? I'm not wasting my money if she doesn't. And and the judge was like, well, yeah, she has potential. But it was just funny that my, because my mom just thought everybody was trying to take money from her. So she wasn't believing them when they were saying that I needed more coaching and that I needed to take it more seriously. So we laugh, we laugh a lot about it. When I was a kid, I used to read my mom skating autobiographies like Elvis Stoiko's book, Michelle Kwan's book, Tara Lipinski's book, Christy Yamaguchi's book. And I used to read them to my mom and I used to sit there and say, what are you going to say when they interview you? What are you going to tell the people about me when they interview you? My mom would just laugh. And now every time she gets interviewed, I'm like, well, I gave you so many opportunities as a child to practice your interview skills. Talk about the power of visualization, right? Like knowing what you wanted and seeing yourself there from age seven and just like manifesting that over the years. So beautiful. That's exactly what it feels like. It's like, I don't even know. I don't remember the day that I was like, oh, that's it. I'm going to the Olympics. It's like, 
I always just knew that that's what I was going to do. And no matter what happened, I believed that I would get there. Like nothing could take me off track of my belief and my hope and my confidence that one day I could get to the Olympics. And I wouldn't tell people I'm going to be Olympic champion. I was very content just to go to the Olympics. So what I ended up achieving is just entirely a bonus. So fast forward, how did you find out about veganism? Oh, well, that came a little bit later. You know, I grew up eating, like eating everything, you know, kind of meat and potatoes, family, drinking a lot of milk. My dad told me I needed my milk if I wanted to be big and strong. I wasn't exposed to very much fruits and vegetables and whole grains and whatnot. But what ended up happening was in 2006, I was sent to see a dietitian that worked with the national team. So this is a, a national team dietitian that studied at university. And I went to see her. And one of the things she told me to eat was cheese strings. You know, I don't know much about food. I was, I don't know, 18 years old and, or maybe 20. And I was like, you know, th- this just seems weird. Why would I eat cheese strings? What is in a cheese string that's going to help my performance? And she was like, well, you know, it's the right amount of calories and protein and fat. And I was like, I know, but what about the ingredients? What is in this cheese string that will help me? And she couldn't tell me. So I kind of went home and nothing changed then, but it had kind of got, I guess, like the tires turning in my head, like about food. And then two years later in 2008, I happened to pass by a bookstore at an airport and they were selling the book Skinny Bitch. And I read the book cover to cover that night. You know, it wasn't very factual. It was funny. It was, it was informative in some ways and it was really funny. I had no idea what a vegan was at this point. And I woke up the next morning and I said, I'm going to be a vegan and did it completely cold turkey, cleaned out my fridge, drank my coffee black and was like, okay, what do I do? So if anybody that knows me, like, you know, that I do things at 110%, I don't go halfway in anything. I was going to be a vegan. It was right there, then and there. It kind of happened overnight. I knew nothing about being vegan and I threw myself into it. And that's in the midst of your career. And so, I mean, I imagine after reading Skinny Bitch, you knew you wanted to do it, but you didn't know how that was going to impact your career yet. How did things change? Like, how did that actually impact you on the ice? So what happened was first I had to go in to train that day. And I'm so proud. I think I made like this amazing decision, right? So I go to training and I announced to my coach, like, guess what? I'm going to be a vegan. And I'm really proud of this decision. I think it's, it's amazing. And my coach is like, what? You can't be a vegan. And I was like, why? And he's like, have you ever seen those vegans? They're all pale and sick and malnutrition. And I was oh, like, I don't know any vegans. Do you? And he was like, no. Well, then how do you know that they all look sick and pale? And he's like, oh, because they do. As soon as he came at me with that response, it just drove me to want to be vegan more. I was like, I'm going to be healthy. And it didn't take long for me to start feeling the positive side effects of following a vegan diet. My energy was better. I was sleeping better. I started to have less aches and pains. I was recovering quicker after training sessions. My skin kind of started glowing. And, you know, a couple of months later, my coach was asking me to help the other skaters with their nutrition and introduce to them more vegan foods. So it was quite quickly that I started to notice a difference. Did you start studying nutrition at that time too? Were you, because you were put in that position to educate others, did you feel like you needed to be the expert in that too? So I didn't start that right away. I started studying nutrition in 2010. And it was because I had through the trial and error of myself becoming vegan, because I did research a lot just on my own independently. I bought a lot of books. 
found websites online. I tried to read everything I could find about becoming a vegan at the time. And it was all just done through trial and error. And through that time, I had started to realize that I had kind of gained a passion for wellness. My initial choice to go vegan was just nutrition. This was my primary reason. But slowly, things, I started to feel, you know, more of a compassion towards animals. I understood the environmental conditions a little bit more. I started to develop a big passion for wellness and healthy living. So I was like, oh, you know, I found this school, Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. And I thought, like, this sounds right up my alley. I think I'm going to start studying. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. So I'm curious when you're first making that transition, what sort of did your food situation look like before that? And then after that? So like what was being taken away and added in that led you to feel so good? Well, first, what I was eating before, it always varied. So I never really liked eating meat or fish, but I always felt like that's what you're supposed to eat with a dinner. You just have to have some sort of protein. So I would make pastas or sandwiches or salads with chicken and turkey and fish. I ate a lot of junk food. I was living alone and I was poor, like dirt poor, to the point that sometimes my breakfast was an orange juice box and a granola bar from the gas station because I had no money. And I ate a lot of like frozen skillet meals with chicken or turkey in it and stuff like that. And after I became vegan, I started eating real food for the first time in my life. I had never ate an avocado or a mango before. It's so embarrassing to admit that, but I had never. And so I started introducing all of these interesting foods into my diet. They were real food. And instead of eating white pasta and white rice and white bread, I started eating ancient grains and buckwheat and spelt. That was kind of the, the shift in the food that I was eating. And I'd say about, in about 2010, when I started studying nutrition, I started eating about 90% organic food as well. Sometimes it's not always possible, but when I can, and when I'm at home grocery shopping, I, I only eat organic. I had a similar story where I wasn't familiar with so many ingredients that I tasted when I first became vegetarian and then vegan. Whole cuisines even, I had never had Ethiopian food or Vietnamese food or really any other Asian food besides Chinese food and some Japanese food. And so I totally understand what it's like to be so limited and then have this whole world open to you. I had never even heard of kale or quinoa. Yeah, it's like the yeah. thing everyone expects when you make this change, your diet's going to become so much more limited. And you so quickly see like this whole new world opens up to you. I started loving going to the grocery store the health food store and just browsing the aisles. And I was like, what's this? What could I make this with? What's tempeh? What's bucket? You know, I didn't know any of this stuff. And I feel like it's kind of shameful that I didn't know it. Well, it's being a human a human being in today's world. Sadly, we're so distanced yeah. from the actual food where it's grown, how it's made. What resources did you look to, to learn how to cook? My first introduction towards any sort of vegan recipes was online when I discovered Oshi Glows. Angela Linden's blog. It was my first introduction and Angela became my vegan hero. I thought, I still like, I think I have like a girl crush on her. I look up to her so much. I make all of her recipes. I have all of her books. I follow everything she does. Maybe that makes me sound a little bit crazy, but she was really my introduction to vegan food. She really was. And Alicia Silverstone and her book, The Kind Diet. The Kind Diet was my first vegan cookbook I ever bought. Now I have a huge collection of them that haven't even made half the recipes of all my books, but those were really the first two. My ultimate goal is to open up a vegan cafe 
like a vegan health food store and to have nutrition courses and cooking courses and yoga there, nutrition for kids, kids activities where kids can learn about fresh fruits and vegetables and whole grains. I have this whole vision of it. I just don't know where I want to open it. When you were working, how accommodating were places you were traveling to compete and perform? When we travel to compete and perform, the athletes are supplied food in like a little cafeteria. And it's cheap cafeteria food. I guess that's the way to put it. It is not designed by a nutritionist for athletes whatsoever, let alone for anybody following a plant-based diet. So what ended up happening is I learned very quickly when I travel that I needed to be prepared. So I needed to start bringing an abundance of food that I could myself. And then I discovered Happy Cow, which started helping me tremendously when I travel. And I find that what it's done is before I even go to whatever location I'm traveling to, I save the places I want to visit on Happy Cow. And then going and finding those vegan restaurants or vegetarian restaurants becomes part of my sightseeing of the city. So it's like I found this restaurant and then I'll go and sightsee the cool neighborhood or whatever is around it. It's become really fun actually doing that, but expensive because I'm offered free food by the organizing committee. It just doesn't involve any food that I can eat or that athletes should be eating at all. And that's where I have a big issue. Is that changing? Are you seeing that change? I'm seeing a lot of athletes struggling with the food that's being catered to us because there's more and more people trying to adapt healthier diets. I know a few vegetarians and a few figure skaters that are trying to be vegan and or other athletes. And even at the Olympics, they just don't offer plant-based options in catering for athletes. And it's really unfortunate. And I hope that it's going to change. I'm on a little, uh, like a small little campaign for the Olympics in 2020 in Tokyo. And we're trying to work with the organizing committee to make sure that there is an abundance of plant-based options in the cafeteria at the Olympics. That's really cool. How do you go about doing that? I'm not in charge of it. It's um, a girl, Dotsie, an American athlete. She is kind of like running the show and she has got us in contact and we're getting signing petitions and getting emails and writing letters to the local organizing committee and the Olympic committee about food. So that's where we're at right now. So when you go to the Olympics, how long are you in the area? Do you like, how long do you have to fend for yourself or eat this type of food? At the Olympics, three weeks. At any other event, only one week. I went to two Olympics. So I learned a lot in 2014 about what food was available to me as a vegan. I was told going into those Olympics in 2014 from the person in charge of the food, they sent me the sample menu. And there was a lot of plant-based options on this menu sample they sent me. So I was like, oh, wow, they're going to be really nice and cater to us. There was even plant-based yogurts. So I made all sorts of little mason jars of granola. I was like, I'm going to have my fresh granola with my yogurt every morning. And then I got there and the menu was not at all what they told me it was. There was no plant-based yogurt, but there was cold tofu. So I mashed up tofu into a yogurt-like texture. And that's what I ate with my granola. And for dinner, they had no fresh vegetables, no whole grains, but they had a lentil stew in the um, in of um, Indian food. So I ate lentil stew every night for three weeks with chapati. I mean, the lentil stew was nice for two days, <laughs> but three weeks, that was a lot. So these past Olympics, I was kind of more prepared. I brought everything to make overnight oats every morning. Like I brought it all myself. I brought dried fruit and I brought little boxes and containers of quinoa and brown rice mixes. And I was hoping somebody would, would kind of have a stovetop around the village that I could make my quinoa and brown rice, but no one did. 
So I went to the grocery store and I bought a kettle and uh, I made quinoa and brown rice in a kettle every single day. Have you ever thought about traveling with an Instant Pot? I have recently started taking my Instant Pot to uh, hotels whenever I travel. And it's kind of inconvenient because I have to check a bag and it takes up a lot of space. But I'm able to create whole meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and be a very healthy eater while I travel. And I save so much money because I can go to the grocery store and buy things in bulk if they have bulk available and use fresh produce. And yeah, it's cheaper and healthier than going out to eat every night. And an Instant Pot is a pressure cooker. I was on the athletes panel at VegFest this weekend in Toronto and one of the girls was saying that she does travel with one. So I think it's what I'm going to add. I travel with a portable blender for smoothies, but I will add this as well. What's great about it is that you can saute and you can. there are other functions besides the pressure cooker. Pressure cooker is great because it makes your food ready in five minutes, which is awesome. So you can have quinoa in five minutes or a soup in three minutes. That's awesome because you save so much time and it's less energy. But also there are so many different things that you can do. You can make your own yogurt. It's awesome. The organization it takes and the room in my suitcase is already crazy. So adding something else would be easy. I didn't even know these existed actually until last week. Oh my gosh. We're going to include that in the show notes and send you our favorite one because Michelle got one first and she convinced me. She kept on telling me how awesome it was. And then I got one and it changed my life. I know I I eat a lot healthier when I'm in a rush because of it. Because I'm going on the road for two months to go on tour October, November. What kind of tour are you doing? I'm like skating show, a skating show tour across Canada. But I'll be living on a tour bus for two months driving across Canada. When we do shows and then you go either to the hotel or on the tour bus to travel to the next place, what happens is the tour will order bus food. And the bus food is usually like tacos or chicken. They don't get plant-based bus food. So I'm always left on my own to try to go and find something at a health food store or trying to find some type type of vegan place that will deliver to the rink that I'm performing at for me. So it's, you know, it's a lot of work. When you're training and performing and competing, do you have to change up the way you're eating or do you eat the same all the time? I eat the same all the time. I believe consistency is key. And what are your, some of your favorite meals, your go-to meals? Oh, well, my favorite thing in the ever is overnight oats. I love overnight oats. Any version. Right now I'm making pumpkin overnight oats because it's fall. Well, it's supposed to be fall, even though the weather's not quite fall yet. I make eggnog oats out of coconut eggnog in Christmas time. I also love avocado on toast or bagel, which is super easy while I travel. Mash up avocado. And I love any type of quinoa salad. Quinoa with sweet potatoes or different vegetables or quinoa with beans, all sorts of different quinoa salads. That would be like a st- standard day for me. And overnight oats avocado toast for lunch and a quinoa salad for dinner. That makes me so happy to hear you say because Tony's community at Plant Based on a Budget is looking for healthy budget recipes and are sort of tied to sticking with some of the most affordable foods on the planet. But I love hearing people say that when they could be eating anything, those are still their favorite foods. So you guys have a vegan on a budget thing? Yeah, we have meal plans. um, And it's funny too, because in so many of those meal plans for the breakfasts. It's like we try and get creative in them and create different breakfasts all the time, but you just can't beat oats. 
you just can't beat the morning oats. <laughs> and they fill you up and they're they're just the best. Price, nutrition, ease of preparing in the morning. It's just so yeah. perfect. You can do a lot with them. You can flavor them with different spices. You can put in different fruits. You can do dry fruits, nuts. You can cook it. You can have it as cold. <laughs> you know, I find it interesting, like just talking about the vegan on a budget, because I don't know how many people pay attention to how much cheese and meat costs. But I mean, fruits and vegetables and beans and quinoa and rice does not cost much money. You know, you can eat very well as a vegan for very cheap. Speaking of, can you tell us about your website, Lots of Greens, which we love your name, by the way? Lots of Greens is my husband's kind of, he kind of came up with the name. Lutz is the skating jump that my partner and I kind of made famous. So Lots of Greens is a play on lots of greens. I'm trying to do more work with it. I, I know I still have a long ways to go. I'm just trying to share with the community, but with the sporting community, sports wellness, sports nutrition, mental tips, training tips recipe videos, kind of like a little bit of everything in the wellness world. And something that I'd like to do now that I've finished all of my nutrition studies is I would like to develop a wellness program for athletes. And that's what I want to do with lots of greens. I want to develop a wellness program for athletes to teach young athletes proper eating habits, proper mental training habits, and proper training habits so that they don't get injured or overtrained. That's so awesome. So needed. (laughs) And what else would you like to do with your time? I know that you're in your early 30s and you've already retired. (laughs) Yeah. And you're used to like hustling every day more than almost any human being on the planet. So it's exciting to hear about what your plans are when you're able to apply that level of dedication to other things. I am always hustling. I like life on the go. When I retired from skating, I had a to-do list so long of things I want to do in my life. And there's no time to wait. I needed to finish. I was doing sports and fitness nutrition program through Alive Academy, which is a holistic nutrition program. So first I had to finish that, which I did in July. I started coaching and I did my training so that I could work as a technical specialist, which is somebody that's on the panel at figure skating competitions. I've coached all summer. I've done some workshops, skating workshops in Iceland, in Ontario, in Mexico, I've spoken at two VegFests, Ottawa VegFest and Toronto VegFest. I'm trying to get lots of greens running a little bit more, giving more content to it. I'm looking into starting my own podcast. I'm not there yet, but I've, I've kind of started the process of it. And I'm looking to get my yoga training certification so that when I'm able to open up that vegan cafe, I can have a yoga studio in it as well. That's so exciting. That <laughs> That is more than some people do in a year and in your like a lifetime, in a lifetime, even it was busy in a different way because usually I'm busy training all summer, every day, the same thing, going and training, trying to be the best athlete I can be, which I love. But now I was able to do different type of work with the same passion and the same energy that I would, that I used to spend training. I know that you say it's important to love what you do. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that? So that kind of fueled you through your entire skating career, working so hard, but not really feeling like it was work. And I know, I'm sure you're going to be applying that for the rest of your life. But yeah, if you can talk a little bit about that. You know, I always tried to keep the fun in the game. I started figure skating because it was fun and I never wanted to lose that. And I was really lucky that I trained with coaches and a skating partner that helped to fuel that attitude that we all felt that kind of the same way about it. I feel like 
when you're passionate about something, you can, first of all, work doesn't feel like work. And second of all, you're going to do better work. When you love what you do and you're passionate about things, you're going to go to the extreme. You're going to go above and beyond to do more work and to do more and give more effort. And that's what's going to make make you better and reach your potential in whatever the field your field is. You know, skating, just because I'm most familiar with skating, but in my career in skating, I had such an amazing time that when I look back on my skating career, even the lowest lows were beautiful in some weird way. There was something really beautiful about those terrible moments. And that was because I was always positive and always stayed optimistic and always continued to love what I was doing. Yeah, for all of the achievers out there who want to achieve something, maybe it's going plant-based, maybe it's whatever dreams they have in life, what advice or words of wisdom would you share with them? Well, something that I always say first is to follow your instinct and your own gut. You don't want to listen to everybody and and everybody these days, especially with social media, it's like everybody has a voice and an opinion. But at the end of the day, the only voice and the only opinion that matters is that of your own. So I always really try to advise people to trust their gut, trust their opinion, trust their heart and go with it in that direction. And it sounds cliche, but to enjoy the journey, whatever journey you're on. You know, I made it to the ultimate destination as an athlete. The ultimate destination was being at the Olympics and winning an Olympic gold medal and silver and bronze medal. When I made it to that final destination and I had that medal around my neck, all I was thinking about was the journey and how amazing the journey was. So if I hadn't enjoyed that journey, that moment would have kind of been nothing. And so I just, for everybody to enjoy the process that you're on and to trust your process. That's really great advice. Thank you for sharing. I think I know for myself, it's hard to remember that while you're going through it. So I appreciate you saying that. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? When I, when you're on the outside of something, you see things a little bit differently. Definitely. On those words of wisdom, uh, we're going to wrap it up. But we wanted to thank you so much for being on our podcast. Everyone is going to love this episode. I'm sure I know. I found so much value in it. Yeah, it's been so special being able to talk to you as someone who's achieved the highest levels of competition and fitness and (laughs) athletics in the world. Just, yeah, so amazing what you do and all that you've achieved. And doing so on plants. Woo, the power of plants. Yeah, plant power. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everyone, we'll definitely point everyone to Lots of Greens to check out your website. Yes, can you tell us where to find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Megan Duhamel. That's probably where I'm most active. And on Facebook and Twitter at Lutz of Greens. And my website is LutzofGreens.com, which is L-U-T-Z-O-F-G-R-E-E-N-S.com. And we'll drop those down in the show notes as well. Yeah. And do you have like an email list where if say someone listening is stoked about the wellness programs you'll be creating in the future, how can they stay tuned to that? People can email me through my website. There's a contact at the bottom of the website. And once I have, you know, my wellness program up and running, hopefully within the next few months, I'm going to, you know, make a big announcement with lots of greens um, about it. That's so impressive that you're saying just a few months. I've been thinking about a, a course for a plant based on a budget for a year. And, and so yeah, I'm really impressed and inspired. My goal is to spend my downtime on tour, finalizing and organizing the steps into that wellness program. 
so amazing. So totally, impressive. it might take longer than a few months, but my deadline is like six months. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Tony and I just looked at each other and our eyes like popped out of our head because we know all that goes into a project of that magnitude is huge and amazing. All right. Well, thanks again, Megan. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. You too. Yeah, you too. Bye. Wow. That was awesome. That was awesome. I can't believe she is our age and has already accomplished so much in life. And within the next year, so much more is to come. So cool. So inspiring. I know. I feel like I'm just starting my career. Right. And she's already like mastered. Hit the pinnacle. One of the best athletes in the entire world. Yeah. So, so amazing. We hope you enjoyed this interview as much as we did. This episode is sponsored by our project, Plant-Based on a Budget Meal Plan. Our Plant-Based on a Budget Meal Plans show you that eating healthfully does not need to be expensive. In fact, delicious plant-based meals that are packed with protein, fiber, disease-fighting nutrients, and lots of flavor can be super affordable and easy to make. And we show you how in these meal plans. Our meal plans teach you how to hack the supermarket so that you can get all the food that you need for an entire week for a grocery bill as little as $25, which is just $120 per meal. So if you want to be saving some money or you're living on a tight budget, but you want to eat healthfully, affordably, let us help you start meal planning today. You can head on over to plantbasedmealplan.com where you can find all of our one-week meal plans. We also have a link to that over on our podcast website. You can find our website at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would go over to iTunes and leave us a review. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Megan and we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.